Welcome to As a Woman, Fertility Hormones and Beyond. I'm your host, Dr. Natalie Crawford, and I am a board-certified OBGYN and fertility physician and also co-founder of Fora Fertility in Austin, Texas. Each week on this podcast, I discuss health and fertility and how they relate to your true self. Become a part of the community of collaboration that amplifies others as a woman. I hope you enjoy the episode. Hello and welcome to the As A Woman podcast. Today I'm talking about contraception and fertility, different types of birth control, if you want to be pregnant sometime in the future or you're trying, and things that people don't know. And I have a really interesting story about why we are talking about this, but first, quick housekeeping. The end of this episode, I will do for fertility sake, FFS. Those are your weekly questions that you request on Instagram that we answer on Instagram on Mondays, here on the podcast every week, and also in the weekly newsletter. You can follow along at Natalie Crawford MD for the Instagram. And if you'd like to sign up for the weekly newsletter, we cover fertility in the news, these questions, and some of my favorite things, including plant-based recipes, you can go to nataliecrawfordmd.com slash newsletter. All right. So you may or you may not know that there are different Facebook groups full of doctors. It's actually the only reason why I like Facebook is for the groups, but there's a variety of different groups. And in one of the physician groups that I am in, somebody was posting for thoughts or advice on a patient of theirs. And the take-home message is that this person wanted to try to get pregnant, the patient, but had recently had Depo-Provera about six to nine months ago, and now didn't have a period and nobody knew what was going on, why she didn't have a period, and was asking for what to do because now the patient wants to be pregnant. And there was so much surprise in the comments because I always love to go into these because I'm like, oh, hey, I'm a fertility doctor because I do have extra training than even regular OBGYNs or family medicine doctors and say, hey, Depo-Provera, the shot, the birth control pill shot, it can last in your body for up to 18 months and it can prevent ovulation for 18 months. This is something I have seen in my clinic or somebody who had a baby and then they took depo to try to prevent having their next one and now they are not ovulating because of it and they are ready to get pregnant again. So I will explain why but the short answer before we dive into it is that anybody who is taking depo prevera the shot it is proven to be highly effective as a contraceptive, meaning preventing you from getting pregnant for three months. However, how it works, it delays ovulation or it totally inhibits it. And it has been shown to prevent ovulation for up to 18 months. So if you potentially want to get pregnant anytime in the next two years, this just cross this one off the birth control options. You are not going to use the shot. And so in order to talk about how different types of contraceptives interfere with your current or future fertility, it's really important to understand the ones that are hormonally based what happens normally. So if you haven't been here before, here is the fastest overview of the menstrual cycle, just so all of us can be on the same page. Inside the ovary are all the eggs you are ever going to have. When you're born, you have the most. Every single month, from from before you're born actually, from mid-gestation, you start losing a group of eggs. I like to use a made-believe analogy called the vault. If you imagine that all these eggs are left inside the vault, so you're born with your vault full of eggs, at the start of every month, a group of eggs will be sent out of the vault. And those eggs 
either have to come mature and ovulate or they die period, the end. They do not stick around. And what is super interesting is the more eggs you have, the more you lose every month. So you lose the highest rate of eggs you're ever going to lose when you are a baby inside your mother's uterus. Wild. So you're losing a group of eggs every single month until the vault is empty, the end. And the number that comes out of the vault is proportional to how many remain inside. And we can measure that with ultrasound or with a blood test called AMH or anti-mullerian hormone. Each egg though is microscopic. So you should be asking, how do you measure it on ultrasound if eggs are these microscopic things? Well, what you can see on ultrasound is actually what we call follicles. So a follicle is a fluid-filled structure filled with mostly fluid, but also a egg. And so you can't see the eggs on ultrasound, but you can see the follicles. And so you can get an antral follicle count. As the egg matures, the follicle actually gets larger. And that is something that we can track and measure on ultrasound. So what is actually happening is in a normal cycle, you have a group of eggs come out of the vault. Each egg is inside a follicle. Follicles are small. Brain sends out follicle stimulating hormone or FSH. FSH works to stimulate an egg to grow. As that egg grows, the follicle becomes bigger and the egg makes estrogen. Estrogen stimulates the lining of the uterus to grow. Estrogen also tells the brain, hey brain, there's an egg growing. We don't need any more FSH because we don't need more eggs to grow. When the egg is mature, your brain senses that because of the high estrogen level. The brain then sends out an LH surge. Remember that LH is going to surge. It's going to pulse throughout the entire luteal phase. So I'm really sick of some of the commercials for certain tracking devices telling you about all of your LH surges, blah, blah, blah. We know that that's been well established, but it's the first moment that you have an LH surge that is going to determine when you ovulate. That LH surge allows the follicle to rupture and the egg to be released. The follicle that grew the egg now heals and becomes something called the corpus luteum. And these LH pulses throughout the entire luteal phase, LH's luteinizing hormone, stimulate the corpus luteum to make progesterone. And that progesterone is preparing the lining for implantation of a pregnancy. Progesterone is key to the implantation window. If you do not get pregnant that month, what is going to happen is that the corpus luteum can only live for about two weeks. So that corpus luteum is going to die. It can only live again two weeks. Progesterone will drop. That drop in progesterone signals to the uterus that you are not pregnant and now you're going to bleed. What is also happening is a group of eggs is coming out of the vault no matter what. And if you're not pregnant, the brain will start to send out a new FSH signal to get a new egg to grow. And now a word from one of our sponsors, Quince. The weather's getting warmer, so it's time to say goodbye to jackets and sweaters and hello to shorts and tees. I wanted to update my wardrobe for the long haul without spending a fortune. And luckily I found Quince. Now I've got a lineup of timeless pieces that keep me looking effortlessly chic year after year. The best part is that Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands, but Quince partners directly with top factories, cutting out the cost of the middleman, passing the saving to us, and only working with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices. I personally cannot wait to wear my cute tan linen set this summer. So it's your turn to get warm weather ready with Quince. 
Go to quince.com slash A-A-W for free shipping on your order and 365-day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash A-A-W to get free shipping and 365-day returns. Quince.com slash A-A-W. Thank you, Quince. And now a word from one of our sponsors, Apostrophe. With the temperature starting to warm up, I'm so excited the summer is around the corner and getting ready and looking forward to the summer months. But I know that when I'm outside, enjoying nature, I need to pick up supplies to prepare myself for summer adventures. And if you want to get your skin glowing in time for summer, it's time for you to get started with Apostrophe, who is sponsoring this episode. Apostrophe's goal is to help you feel confident in your own skin. So whether you're dealing with breakouts, signs of aging, or acne scarring, Apostrophe will help you love the skin you're in. I personally love that you get access to an expert dermatology team, a tailored treatment plan. It's simple to sign up for your first visit, and there is no in-person appointment or trip to the pharmacy needed. We have a special deal for our audience. Get your first visit for only $5 at apostrophe.com slash A-A-W when you use our code A-A-W. That's a savings of $15. This code is only available to our listeners. To get started, just go to apostrophe.com slash A-A-W and click get started. Then use the code A-A-W at sign up and you'll get your first visit for only $5. Thank you, Apostrophe, for sponsoring this episode. A few things that are just helpful because we take these concepts into understanding how contraception works. So before you begin puberty, you're still losing eggs. What is happening is a group of eggs is coming out of the vault. They're each in their small follicles, but there's no FSH. That is what puberty is. Puberty is turning on the brain to start sending out FSH. It is not a perfect cycle at first, and that's why puberty takes a while. In fact, the first couple of years of puberty, the brain is sending out FSH, and the ovaries are learning how to respond and grow eggs and make estrogen, and that is where you get breast development. It'll take about two years from when your body starts making estrogen, and you start having breast development before you're even going to be able to get a mature egg and ovulate. So it is normal to actually have this unopposed estrogen component for a couple of years before the cycle matures and you're able to actually grow an egg, ovulate it, and get a period. But in this time period of puberty, FSH and LH are low and estrogen is low. You're still losing eggs, but nothing is growing. So everything comes out of the vault. There's nothing to stimulate them. All the eggs die. When you are pregnant you are still losing eggs. Eggs are coming out of the vault. However, there's nothing to stimulate them because in pregnancy, the placenta is making both high estrogen and progesterone. And this tells the brain that we don't need to grow an egg right now. Therefore, no FSH is sent out. So you have a group of eggs coming out of the vault. There's no FSH, nothing ovulates. All right, fun fact is that that's not 100% true. Like in theory, that is true. And most of the time that is true. Although there is such a thing as superfetation or like multiple fetuses from multiple eggs. This is a phenomenon where you ovulate when you're pregnant. And it usually happens in the early stages of pregnancy when the placenta has not grown in yet. And so in gestation, these pregnancies are typically a few weeks apart, like up to four. And so this isn't something that is typically happening, you know, when you're seven months pregnant, but when that placenta is first growing in and it's not making high enough levels, for some people, they may release another egg. But for the purposes of this discussion, 
We can just say that pregnancy, a time period of high estrogen progesterone, prevents any of the eggs from growing or ovulating. And then you have menopause. So menopause is when you're essentially out of eggs. So what happens in menopause is that the brain really wants an egg to grow. So it is sending out all the FSH that you have. All the FSH that is there, really, really, really trying to get an egg to grow. However, there's no eggs left, so nothing comes out of the vault. So you have really high FSH levels, but low estrogen levels. And these are time periods that are natural, right? We go through puberty, we have the time period before puberty, puberty, our reproductive years, intermittent pregnancies potentially, and then menopause. And understanding how the hormones work in these different times actually can help us understand how contraceptions work. So if we're talking about Depo-Provera, because we already talked about it, Depo means shot, like intramuscular shot, and Provera is a type of synthetic progesterone. Depo-Provera is an intramuscular shot of a high dose of progesterone. It is shown that progesterone levels that high can prevent you from ovulating for three months. So if you're using Depo-Provera to prevent getting pregnant, you go and get the shot every three months. Now, Depo has fallen out of favor for a couple different reasons. One being that progesterone levels this high can make some people not feel great, they can contribute to weight gain, and it causes such profound depletion of estrogen because it's shutting down the brain. Progesterone high, think of it like a state of pregnancy, except in pregnancy, placenta is also making estrogen. This is just progesterone. Brain therefore is like, hey, we don't need to ovulate. No FSH coming out, no eggs growing, no estrogen. So Depo's also been associated with osteoporosis at a young and early age. And so most people won't use it for more than two years without doing some type of estrogen add back. And there are always exceptions, but that's generally. So you do need it every three months if you want to know that you're not ovulating. But as we said, that high level of progesterone is so profound, it can shut the brain down. And so this means your FSH is low and therefore your estrogen is low. You can't just give somebody like this typical fertility medications like Clomid or Letrozole and expect that they will ovulate. And the reason why is the brain doesn't have any FSH in it right now. It's been suppressed. And if you want to give somebody Clomid or Letrozole, you need the brain to be awake because those are ovulation induction medications. And those medications work by tricking the brain into thinking there is no estrogen. Therefore, it will send out FSH. But do you know what? There's already no estrogen and the brain's not sending it out. So making the brain think there's no estrogen is not going to be effective. So if you want to get pregnant and let's say you did this, oh my gosh, my doctor did not tell me any of this and I got the depo shot and I really do want to have a baby now. You're going to have to see a fertility doctor most likely and get on injectable hormones, which include FSH and LH. And that's obviously expensive and has its own risks. But that is the same type of treatment that we have to consider for somebody who has hypothalamic amenorrhea, which can be due from illness, stress, eating disorders, exercise, anything that the brain senses it's not a good time to get pregnant and it's severed the connection between the hypothalamus and the pituitary gland. Essentially, the pituitary gland doesn't have any FSH. All right, so while we're talking about progesterone-only contraceptives, let's talk about an IUD. So there are different types of IUDs. So number one, you can have a hormonal IUD 
classically known as the Mirena. The Mirena is the OG progesterone IUD. It can last now up to seven years. The others are Lyleta, Kylena, and they have a little bit lower progesterone levels and they are smaller, so they could be better if you've never had a child. Potentially, they don't hurt as much. I'm not going to lie. I mean, I had an IUD and it's kind of a beast going in. I think everybody has a different level of pain tolerance, but that would never be an appointment that I would say, oh, this won't hurt. I mean, it's not pleasant. However, it is very effective. And if you do not want to be pregnant, an IUD can be a great option. The progesterone levels in IUDs are not nearly as high as what the Depo-Provera shot is. It is a slow releasing progesterone in the device. Now, how this prevents pregnancy is because of the local effect simply on the uterus. So progesterone, as we said before, opens and closes the implantation window. So opens and closes. Constant progesterone exposure makes the lining unable for an embryo to implant. Therefore, you can't get pregnant. Also, progesterone does thin out the lining. Estrogen grows it. We often say progesterone stabilizes, but it can thin it. And so having this constant progesterone can thin out the lining. It is not typically having the same side effects that the Depo-Provera shot does as far as weight gain and some of the low estrogen side effects, although it can for some people because the IUD, some people will still ovulate. And so if you're ovulating, you're making estrogen and you're feeling closer to normal. If you're not ovulating, meaning that local progesterone is enough that it prevents ovulation, then you might develop some of those low estrogen symptoms. Also, we know that constant progesterone exposure does inhibit fertilization. So the sperm and the egg being able to come together. So people worry that IUDs are abortifacients, meaning they would prevent a pregnancy from implanting, therefore causing a in utero abortion. It's just not true. So you also can't fertilize an egg in high progesterone levels either like that. So that's all fine. We don't have to worry about that. But if it prevents you from ovulating, then you're definitely not having even any chance of getting pregnant. But this is why some people with IUDs feel awesome and some people with progesterone IUDs feel not awesome. And those low estrogen symptoms can, for both of these, contribute potentially if you don't ovulate into having, you know, low libido, even vaginal dryness, and potentially feeling those high progesterone symptoms so much. What does this mean though for your fertility? Well, for the most part, it doesn't really impact ovulation once you pull it out. So even if that local progesterone level is preventing something, when you pull it out, the source is gone, progesterone levels drop, and you can resume ovulation from the brain, no problem. So even if you weren't ovulating, no big deal. Now, the bigger issue is if you're not having any periods is the impact that it can have on the inside of the uterus. You can be ovulating and having no periods with a progesterone IUD, and that's because of the local impact of that progesterone. So we actually don't know what's going on, and it can take some months for the uterus to regrow that lining after it's been really exposed to progesterone for a long time. So I usually say, hey, you need to remove the IUD three to six months before you want to start trying to get pregnant. That way, one, are you ovulating? Are your periods regular? Who knows? Two, if you didn't have periods, we want to give your lining time to get back to an appropriate level. If you have normal periods on an IUD, which definitely people do have very regular, just light periods, then you probably have no need to remove it that much in advance because we already know you're ovulating and we know your lining's thick enough to bleed off every month. So I'm not worried about that. Anything inside the uterus is a risk. So a copper IUD works by just having copper inflames the inside of the uterus. 
And so that is an inflammatory environment. There's no hormones involved, but by no means is it natural to have copper inside your uterus, right? So when patients say, I want the copper IUD because it's more natural. Yeah, no, I mean, maybe even the progesterone IUD is more natural because it's mimicking a pregnancy-like state, which is a natural state. A copper inside your uterus is not. All of that said, if you would like a hormone-free option or you need one, copper IUDs are great. However, because of the inflammation, they can cause heavier periods. Does not impact ovulation, zero percent. So if your periods are irregular, they are irregular. If your periods are absent in a copper IUD, something is up. Both of these are devices that get put into the uterus. Anytime we instrument the uterus, there is inherent risk. And even though it is not common, an IUD can result in issues with your uterus. Number one, perforation. IUD gets placed through the top of the uterus, causes a hole and it, results in scar tissue. Or in the placement of it, it gets embedded in the sidewall and it can cause scarring that way. IUDs can also break when you pull them out. And this is so not common, but they're supposed to have strings and you grab the strings and remove them. And there's definitely cases where the strings fall off. You have to have surgery to remove it or an arm breaks off and you have to have surgery. So I just think it's important that you don't get an IUD and then plan to get it taken out six months or a year later. Like that's not worth having it in that long, even if the risk of something going wrong is small. However, if you need a reliable contraception for years and you want to keep it in, five to 10 years, depending on if it's progesterone or copper, it could be a great option. And those small chance of risk really might be totally worth that long-term contraceptive benefit. And now a word from one of our sponsors, Ritual. Did you know that women were excluded from clinical research policy by federal law until 1993? But women belong in scientific research. They're essential and Ritual knows this. I choose Ritual multivitamin every day because it is easy to take and I know that I am getting high quality and traceable ingredients in a clean and bioavailable forms. In fact, Ritual conducted a university-led human clinical trial for their Essential for Women 18 Plus multivitamin to assess its efficacy and the results showed increase in vitamin D levels by 43% and omega-3 DHA levels by 41% in just 12 weeks. No my shady business. Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus is a multivitamin that you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month at ritual.com slash A-A-W. Start Ritual or add Essential for Women 18 Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash A-A-W for 25% off. Thank you, Ritual. IUDs also do increase the risk of ectopic pregnancy if you get pregnant while you have it in. So since no birth control method is 100% at preventing pregnancies, you could have an ectopic. So if you got a positive pregnancy test and you have an IUD, call the OBGYN immediately. All right. And then there's other progesterone-like options. The mini pill is one. The mini pill is daily progesterone, and it is supposed to prevent you from ovulating. It is not a great birth control. One is because, like I already said with the progesterone IUD, it doesn't always prevent people from ovulating, and it does have these progesterone symptoms. And the mini pill, you have to take it exactly the same time every day. It is very peculiar. That said, it's gone when it's gone. Progesterone doesn't live long-term in your body in pill form. So stop it. You'll ovulate the next month. No big deal. No long-term fertility risk. And if we're going to wrap up this 
progesterone series, if we may. We have the implant, which goes in your arm. They are a little rod that secretes progesterone. Implanon, Nexplanon, similar to Depo-Provera, although it doesn't last quite as long. You can remove it and then it stops secreting. So it's kind of in between an IUD, but it's in the arm and it's higher doses because it does prevent ovulation like Depo-Provera. It causes such incredible irregular bleeding and spotting that most people do not tolerate it. I really don't love it as a birth control option, but knowing that it does work by preventing ovulation and you do have to get an incision on your arm and get it placed. I have had people who get it placed. It is supposedly supposed to be a small incision and take it out in the office, but it sometimes gets lost in the arm muscle wild and you have to go to the operating room. And in residency, we had to have, you know, general surgery come help us because we're not surgeons of the arm when people get these lost in the arm because they migrate. So seemingly benign, does prevent ovulation, would want to remove it months before you get pregnant because it does prevent ovulation, but you should have normal return to ovulation, still much better than the Depo-Provera delay. All right, what about our friendly birth control pill? When people say the pill or the birth control pill, most of the time they are referring to the combined birth control pill. This is an improvement over the progesterone-only pill in that in addition to progesterone, it has ethanol estradiol, a synthetic estrogen, not at all the type your body makes at all. However, this estrogen component in the pill tells the brain that you do not need FSH, essentially mimicking that you have a follicle growing. Because of that, the brain does not send out FSH or LH, therefore you do not ovulate. If you don't ovulate, you don't get pregnant. Highly effective contraceptive if taken every day. Some people are very sensitive and if you take a pill later, you miss one, will ovulate. And so you really do need to be compliant with it. Because of the estrogen component of the pill, much better tolerated for most people than progesterone only methods, meaning it balances out that abnormally high progesterone that most people wouldn't have. However, it is progesterone every single day, which is not how the cycle is normally made. Progesterones in different pills are different and they can cause bloating, weight gain, loss of libido. It used to be very common for people to prescribe tricyclic pills, which is the same progesterone, but the estrogen rose from week one to two to three, like you would expect almost in a cycle. But we've really gone away from that because you had more escape ovulation if you came in with a lower dose estrogen because it wouldn't always prevent FSH. So a monophasic or the same dose every day is a better option if you're using it for contraception. Added benefit of the pill is that because of how it is metabolized in the liver, it increases something called sex hormone binding globulin, which binds free hormones, which can drop your testosterone, which is good if you have high testosterone or acne. So dermatologists love this, often use it in conjunct for acne treatments and can be helpful for some people with PCOS. Also can be helpful for some people with endometriosis because if you're using the pill and you're not ovulating, your ovaries are in a rest state and then areas of endometriosis are not getting worse and your ovaries are not exposing themselves to some of the worst type of endometriosis, which is an endometrioma. When endometriosis gets inside a follicle when you ovulate, and then that corpus luteum has so much blood supply to get it to make progesterone, it is just a breeding ground for endometriosis and it will never leave. Endometriosis cysts, endometrioma, also known as chocolate cysts, highly destructive to the ovaries. So long-term pill use does prevent that, can help pain management for some people with endo because it's not stimulating those lesions with monthly natural estrogen and you are getting daily progesterone, which does combat it for some people. Everybody is different. 
The stable hormone levels of the monophasic pill, if you never take a pill break and you just use it, is also really helpful for some people with PMD or PMDD. These are premenstrual depression or premenstrual dysphoric disorder, but essentially mood instability strongly associated with hormone levels. And you can even get people who have seizures in these time frames. So it is not wise of us to always classify the combined birth control pill as one birth control only. It has a medical treatment too, and it can be life-changing for some people. Does that mean too many doctors just give people the pill without evaluating them or explaining to them or talking them through it? Absolutely, y'all. I'm not going to sit here and pretend like that doesn't happen. Does it mean that everybody loves the pill? No. Some people have terrible symptoms on it, and it's not for everybody. However, it does help certain people, and it should be a contraceptive choice that is discussed. And there are so many sources of misinformation out there telling you that the birth control pill is going to cause you to have PCOS, that you develop it in response to the pill. That is false, you guys. You had PCOS. When you were on the pill, you didn't have symptoms of it. But when the pill stopped and your ovaries had to get back to what they have, now you have PCOS symptoms or now you have endometriosis symptoms. But the pill didn't cause either of those diseases. Or there's people telling you the birth control pill causes you to run out of eggs because you might say, I was on the pill for 10 years and now I stopped and I'm out of eggs. The pill caused me to go into premature ovarian insufficiency. False. Pill did not do that. You were running out of eggs the entire time. All of these birth control methods have never changed that the eggs were being released from the vault. A process that happens from the ovaries beginning of time when you're a baby inside your mother and only ends when you get into menopause. Nothing stops the process. If we could find a way to halt eggs from coming out of the vault every month, we could extend human reproduction, okay? It is not something that happens. So no matter if you are not yet going through puberty or gone through puberty or trying to get pregnant or on any of these birth control pills, Depo, the pill, the mini pill, the IUD, pregnant, you are losing eggs every single month. These methods are different ways that are preventing you from getting pregnant. So when you're taking the combined pill, your body has estrogen. So FSH is not released and you don't grow an egg and you don't ovulate. And all of those eggs that came out of the vault die. But it neither changes the natural process. It does not speed up or slow down what was inevitable. You're still losing eggs. Pill doesn't change them. Okay. So when you stop the birth control pill, you absolutely can get pregnant immediately. Some people will ovulate right away as soon as it's gone. Again, birth control pill hormones are short acting. If you miss one, you may ovulate. However, in some people who have taken continuous pills specifically, which I have loved this option personally, taking the pill and not having a period, just getting a new pack and never taking a break, you will also thin out the lining from that daily progesterone and the ovaries will go into a more dormant state. It is not that the eggs are not being released from the vault, they still are, but they are being released more small or less likely to respond to medication is the easier way to think about it. But really those cells that surround each egg, which make AMH, which is the blood test we can use to check how many eggs you have, has been shown to be lower if you've been on long-term birth control pills. So if you want to check an AMH on the pill, I'm all for it. But if it comes back low, I always say, hey, this may not be a real value. We should stop the pill and repeat it in a few months. And if it comes back normal, then we're all fine. No study has shown that the pill decreases the number of eggs you have or impairs your ability 
ability to ovulate afterward. However, because you have not been ovulating, you might not know what your pattern is, right? Because you've been on the pill, you haven't been ovulating. So you want to stop the pill a few months before you want to get pregnant so you can determine if you have any ovulatory issues and if your periods have not come back in a regular fashion with off the pill, go get an evaluation. And lastly, long-term studies have shown that the pill does not harm fertility. In fact, using the pill for more than 10 years actually improved fertility when they stopped it, likely due to comparison groups of people who potentially had endometriosis and therefore hadn't really conceived because they had infertility and people maybe who had endo who were on the pill as hypothesis. Regardless, not hurting fertility. Side note, if you're not ovulating for all those years, the ovary is not going through a process of heal and repair and you do have a lower risk of ovarian cancer very significantly. Other birth control methods, you know, quickly, if you get your tubes tied, can you get pregnant? Yes, you would need IVF in most circumstances. You can try to have a tubal reanastomosis depending on the type of procedure they use to tie your tubes and how old you are and other factors, although it does still result in a higher risk of a tubal pregnancy if you get pregnant afterward. If you have a uterine ablation, which is where they go and they burn, essentially they destroy the endometrium cells inside the uterus. You don't get periods afterward, can be helpful for certain medical conditions if you're done having children, but if you decide you want to have children later, that's a no-go. The uterus is not going to function normally, and if you were to get pregnant, it could have very bad consequences as far as being a very high-risk pregnancy and having the placenta behave extremely abnormally. All right, so I hope that helped answer some of your questions about different types of birth control and what that might mean if you want to get pregnant in the future, and I do think this is something that we should be thinking about when we are looking at our family planning. How are we going to protect ourselves from getting pregnant? But when are we going to stop that contraceptive method? Or when does something we're using not make sense? It's now time for For Fertility's Sake, our weekly Q&A answering some of your fertility questions. Again, you can ask these every Monday on Instagram at Natalie Crawford MD, and we will answer them on the podcast in the newsletter, and on Instagram. Question one, are you more fertile after a miscarriage? Yes and no. This is a confusing question, and this person actually wrote, I see conflicting information. You are not more fertile, meaning there's nothing about your body that is now more likely to get pregnant. However, people who have had egg and sperm meet and an implantation started have proven a certain level of fertility that other people may not have, right? A fallopian tube is open, sperm and egg, can have fertilization inside the body and implantation started. And since we know the top cause of miscarriage is just due to genetic abnormalities of the embryos, people who have had that process of implantation start are more likely to be able to get pregnant again. So when we compare people, those who've had a pregnancy are more likely to get pregnant later. Does being overweight decrease your fertility? And if so, why? The answer here is actually yes. And so one of the best studies that looked at this was actually a study of donor eggs. So when we looked at people who were using donor egg, and the reason why this was helpful is because it showed us that it's not just an impact in ovulation or in potentially egg quality, but actually there's also an impact on the uterus. People who were receiving donor egg who had a higher BMI or more likely to have a failed transfer than people in the normal BMI range. People in a low BMI similarly had failures, so being low is not good either. But this did show us likely due to how the body fat cells make estrogen 
and how the body senses weight as a health marker, that that's important in growing an appropriate lining. But yes, so it probably does play a role in the growth of the endometrium and implantation. We know fast cells make estrogen and that can throw off the hypothalamic pituitary ovarian axis, that entire ovulation spectrum we talked about before. If you have more estrogen, your brain sends out less FSH. You're not going to ovulate or ovulate as well or as timely. And then because a lot of obesity is associated with inflammation and chronic inflammation, that can also negatively impact egg quality. So nobody's being mean by telling people to lose weight, but it does in science, impact our ability to ovulate, the quality of our eggs, and the ability for embryos to implant. And not to isolate out women, it impacts sperm quality just as much. So obesity is a chronic disease that does impact our reproductive system. What causes a blighted ovum? A blighted ovum is essentially where the baby part of the pregnancy does not develop. So if we think about a pregnancy, you have the sac. The sac is called the gestational sac. And in common term language, we can think of it as the amniotic sac. Inside that, you should have a fetal pole, which is the baby, and then you will have a yolk sac, which is providing nutrients until the placenta grows in. But a blighted ovum is you have a gestational sac with no fetus, no fetal pole. This is due to genetic abnormalities. So this is not a problem with your body implanting or some you issue. This is not from a clotting disorder or anything else. This is the embryo did not have the capacity to become a baby. We think number one is genetic abnormality. Number two would be something inherently wrong with the embryo. Cells did not divide, baby did not form. My AMH is so high that they said I'm immune to Clomid. What does that mean? This is a really good question. It's not really that you're immune. I like to use the word refractory. And the reality is they do not know until they've tried. High AMH represents having a lot of follicles. So if you have a lot of follicles, they are all making a small amount of estrogen. And that estrogen causes the brain to send out lower signal of FSH than it naturally would. That lower signal is then also getting dispersed amongst all of those follicles. And it's not a strong enough signal to get anyone to ovulate. Clomid is supposed to work by binding to the brain and allowing the brain to send out a stronger signal of FSH. And it absolutely should if this is the only problem that's going on is your PCOS. However, in very many people, that signal from the brain with Clomid is not strong enough to then get you to ovulate. It's still getting dispersed because this is an indirect pathway, meaning I'm telling the brain to send out more, but I don't actually control how much it actually sends. So there's a huge disconnect. This is why the higher your AMH is, the more likely you're going to need higher doses of medication and you might fail to respond to oral agents. One, letrozole is actually drug of choice for anybody with PCOS. High AMH is associated with PCOS. Two, should respond to gonadotropins, which are FSH. However, that can be really dangerous for multiple pregnancy, like high risk of triplets or quads. But number three, some people do have PCOS and they have a very high AMH and they have lots of follicles, but they also have hypothalamic amenorrhea. So maybe they are thin PCOS and they're underweight. Maybe they exercise a lot or they're restricting calories or they also are just very stressed out or they've been ill. And then the brain's not sending out hormones even if they could. And those people will not respond to letrozole or Clomid because the brain is not turned on and working. All right, and last question is how long do you have to wait to have a transfer after methotrexate? Methotrexate is a medication that we use for ectopic pregnancy. It is a folic acid antagonist, so it stops folic acid and folic acid is essential for cell division, so it impacts the ability for cells to rapidly divide, therefore killing rapidly dividing cells. 
and a pregnancy is rapidly dividing. So it can halt the growth of a pregnancy, which is really good if that is in the fallopian tubes because if it continues to grow, it could rupture, you could bleed internally, you could die. Methotrexate's a chemotherapy also because... In the same way, in different, much higher doses, it can be used to target rapidly dividing cells of cancer. Methotrexate, though, will inhibit the ability for cells to properly uptake folic acid, and that could be very bad and can cause birth defects, right? So neural tube defects or birth defects of the brain, the spinal cord, are something that we see with folic acid deficiency because those cells are so highly sensitive to the need for folic acid. Therefore, if you get methotrexate for an ectopic pregnancy, you need to wait three months for it to be totally out of your system before you get pregnant again, whether that's naturally or with an embryo transfer. I know that stinks. I have been there. All right. Again, you can ask your questions every single week at Natalie Crawford MD on Instagram, and we will answer them here on the podcast, on Instagram, and on the newsletter. You can sign up for the newsletter, www.nataliecrawfordmd.com slash newsletter. Thank you, friends. Thank you all for listening to As a Woman. It would mean so much if you could rate, review, and follow the podcast to be notified of new episodes every Sunday. I hope you learned something new, and I hope you share it with someone in your life. Be sure to follow along on Instagram at Natalie Crawford MD, and check out the YouTube channel, Natalie Crawford MD. If you're interested in becoming a patient, you can also follow Fora Fertility. I'm so thrilled to have you here, part of the community that amplifies others as a woman. Hey guys, welcome to The Collective. I'm Brian Halfrich, a 26-year-old bioethics PhD student and clothing brand CEO. Welcome to my podcast where we talk all things health and wellness, navigating your 20s, and becoming the best version of yourself. So sit down, play that episode, and join The Collective.